Hi, everybody, uh, and welcome to the latest in our Give to Local podcasts. Uh, as you probably see from the screen, our next guest needs absolutely zero introduction. We're absolutely privileged to have her on. Gabby Logan, welcome Hi. to the Give to Local podcast. How are you, Justin? You all right? I'm all right, yeah. How, how are you coping in this, this weird kind of 12 months that we've had? Because I would imagine, first and foremost, as a parent, um, you're going through everything that everybody else is. Yeah, mine are GCSE years. So we've had this really unsettling few weeks where GCSEs have got cancelled and um, we don't know really what's going on. We don't know when they're going back to school. So we don't know, you know, what kind of assessments they'll have. I mean, they're working hard and they're pretty self-sufficient. You know, in that respect, I'm super lucky. I've got friends who've got much younger kids and they are up against it. They're trying to work. They're trying to juggle their kids' work and uh, mine are getting on with it. So that's good. Um, I just feel for them because their life is so different, isn't it, to what it should be as a normal teenager. And, you know, my son has gone nearly a year now without playing his sport. My daughter managed to get back a bit. There was a bit of her sport in the summer. But it's, um, you know, their lives are, are totally unpredictable. And it's that part of it which is hard, I think, for all of us. So I, I feel for their social lives, everything. It's, you know, you just got to keep on trying to be quite positive and, and give them, you know, a bit of structure, I think. I think the thing is, there's no there's no game book for any of this, is there? We're completely by the, the seat of all our mm. pants trying to work out how best to work through it. Yeah, we are. And I think, you know, there are many, many worse things that could be happening to all of us. You know, I think, you know, we're, 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 in, a, we're in a country that has a good vaccine program that seems to be, you know, going well. We've got, um, you know, most people are living in their, you know, homes and they're not, you know, they're not having to kind of cross countries because of war and you know we're we're relatively lucky aren't we in this country compared to other situations and so I think we have to kind of remember that we've been through lots worse and we will come through this at some point but it just feels right now I think it's probably the worst thing that you know that most of us have lived through in our lifetimes as a nation uh, you know because any of the wars we've been involved in this country have been away from us haven't they so we've not yeah. really had to experience all of that so it feels like people are up against it and in a way that they never have been before and um, and also it's everybody's experiences are so different. So, you know, while there's this kind of call for everybody to be unified, well, of course, you know, you're, you, if you can work from home and you can carry on working, that's very different to somebody who's, whose job is completely now, you know, they, they can't work. They, if they're a waitress or they worked in any kind of hospitality industry or they, you know, were working on zero hours contracts, all those things give people a very different experience. So I think that part of it, we, you know, we've got to keep being mindful of that not everybody's experiencing this in the same way. One thing I'm really looking forward to, being around St. James's Park on a, on a match day, um, and you'll know yourself the end of the thuds of the, the, the theme tune just as they run out, and you get that roar. I cannot wait to hear that roar again at a full St. James's Park because I just think that will be spine tingling. It's one of the things that, that kind of keeps you going. You're thinking, I'm looking forward to that moment because you don't realise how much you miss it until it's gone. Oh, I, I've done so many matches now. Not I went up St. James's Park at... Um, just before New Year, I've been all over the country, different grounds, and and you know it just doesn't get normal. It never gets. You never get to the point where you go. I was at Sanford Bridge yesterday, and you don't ever feel like, oh well, this is now. It's just horrible. <laughs> you know, it's just awful. And and we need you know the the passion that comes from the crowd, the the you know the the emotion, all of that, which is so so wonderful. It's part of the game that we love and why we love it because because people care. You know. So um, I was up, uh, as I say, up at St James's Park, and the makeup artist who was working with me on the show had never been there before. She's so funny. She doesn't. She's worked with me for years, but she has, knows nothing about sport. And she went, "Have I been here before?" <laughs> I said, "Well, you have, but you've never been in the stand." I said, "You've been in the you know in the kind of offices in the back back part of the ground." She's, and she looked around and she went, this is the best ground I've ever been yes. in. And I went, and I went correct. 
<laughs> she's from the south and you know as I say she's been at many grounds with me but um and I said you should see what it's like when it's got people in it <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and it is you know sport is a unifying experience isn't it that's why we love it and so sport played like it is at the moment is like a computer game or something you know it just doesn't it matters still obviously to the players and that is great that it still matters to the players and it matters to us watching at home but it doesn't have that added layer of emotion I think that we all need crave Sports envelops your life, hasn't it, from, from, from day one, um, and, and especially with your dad, to explain for anyone who may not know, Terry Yorath, who was involved at Leeds at, at, at a time when they were the best, probably in, in Europe. It was a real heyday time. How was it growing up in a family with a dad who was so enshrined in a, a big club like Leeds United at the time and with football being as big as it was? Yeah, he was there for 10 years in the end um, and left when he was 26, 27. So I was born when he was 23. So I, you know, I don't really remember the Leeds period of his life as much as I'm told it almost because it's, so, you know, there's Leeds fans from that era are a bit like the Man United fans from the Fergie era. They live all over the world, you know, and so they're not just in Leeds. So you travel the world and people when, you know, because when I was before I was married, my surname was Yorath. It's such a distinctive surname. I'd be somewhere in like Canada or something. So they go, Yorath. And they kind of, you know, so then they start talking about Leeds. And it had a real, Leeds United had a real um, impact because of the way they played. And they were this kind of, um, if you've ever seen the Damned United, actually, which is the end of the the, the, the whole kind of the Don Revy, um, when Don Revy came for a very short period of time. and uh, So when Brian Clough came and took over at Don Revy, at that period of, of Leeds, you know, they obviously were quite an antagonistic club as well. So, you know, they, they felt like they were almost the vagabonds up against it and people didn't, you know, d- didn't always kind of like their style and they were quite hard. And so I get told these stories by people. But, you know, him, his life and his uh, his footballing life meant that we had a quite um, a peripatetic existence. We were moving around the whole time. We moved to Coventry, Vancouver. He then moved to Tottenham. So, um, so it's quite um, a nomadic uh, lifestyle. But it's fun because obviously you know it's an adventure and he's doing something different you know he's finished work every day at two o'clock so that was different he used to come pick us up from school which a lot of the dads didn't you know pick the kids up from school so um but he'd be away for weeks on end if he was with Wales or if he was you know he worked weekends you know so he was never around on a Saturday so um so it was our normal I guess you know and I look back now I realized there were some really great things about it some strange things about it you know people were always talking to your dad in the street as if they knew him and it took me till I was about 14 before I realized that, you know, not everybody knew him. I go, who's he? And he'd be like, Gabs, I've told you, you know, I don't know them. Um, but it's um, it's definitely given me a, a real appreciation of the, the, the vagaries of being a sports person. You know, one minute you're up, the next minute you're down, one minute you're the cream of the crop and, the, you know, the talk of the town. And the next minute people kind of want to throw things at you from their car window, you know. So I think it treats you to, the, you know, the twin imposters, you know, of defeat and victory. You kind of have to have a certain amount of um, level headedness about it all. Can you imagine social media at that time, what it would have been well, like? I think, I think, you know, I think we're all, depending on what age you are and where you came to have social media in your life, you know, I feel lucky. I got through my teenage years without it when I look at my kids and, um, and hopefully, you know, there is as as we as it becomes more and more ingrained in our lives, there's a more of a normalcy to it, and it's slightly more regulated. But can you imagine, like, you know, young footballers, you know, nowadays, they kind of they have to deal with so much, and then to throw into that people's instant criticism, instant critique from, you know, you can walk away from a match knowing you've played badly, 
you don't need 65,000 people, you know, kind of on social media to be telling you. And of course, you could say, well, you don't have to participate in that. But it, it's where you also communicate with your friends and, and it's mm. where you keep in touch with your fans. And, <clears throat> and people say things, obviously, on social media as well that aren't, I don't think, a reflection of what they would say to you in real life. I don't think they'd walk up to you in the street and say those things sometimes. Um, and people did, you know, I've been with my husband. My husband was a rugby player and I've been with him where people have come up to him and told him what kind of game he's had, you know, <laughs> verbally, um, which he's already known about. Um, and so people can be quite frank and candid. And that, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? You put yourself out there to be, you know, shot down, applauded. And you can't take all the, you know, the wonderful times without having those those negatives. I think it would take a brave person to tell uh, Scotland International uh Kenny Logan, he's not had a good game, uh, by the way. Just, at the, just uh, if, if he knows he hasn't as well. I fingers crossed he wasn't within striking distance when they said that. Well, it was quite a quite funny story, actually. I don't know if I'm allowed to use the actual word that this particular <laughs> Scotsman said, but it was three in the morning in Italy and Kenny had had a terrible match and he'd missed loads of kicks and Scotland had been beaten for the first time by Italy in the, in the uh, Six Nations. And I was doing a new, sh- I used to do a kind of like tea time sports bulletin on the ITV News on a Saturday after I did On the Ball. And I was watching the match while I was waiting to do the bulletin and I was just literally going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. This is like, I knew oh, it was no. having an absolute shocker. And um, so my colleague was a lady called Katie Derham, who was a brilliant um, friend. And she said, look, go on Alitalia and have a look. You can get a flight to Rome tonight after your shift and go and just be there for him. So I got on this flight at eight o'clock from Heathrow. I finished my bulletin at 6.30 <laughs> and flew to Rome. Of course, by the time I found him somewhere in the back streets of Rome, it was like one o'clock in the morning and he was absolutely three sheets to the wind because he spent the, you know, <laughs> the evening consoling himself with, with his teammates. And so we went for a wander and we sat on the Trevi Fountain and it was three in the morning and there was this like moonlight on the Trevi Fountain. And, you know, he apparently was about to ask me to get married. And this guy walked around the corner looking like a Bay City Rollers tribute act. And he went, <laughs> Kenny Logan, you had an absolute, uh, um, say, let's say shocker. Right. And, then, and so Kenny just went, thanks, mate. And he went, no problem. And then just walked on. And so the guy not only obviously was not scared of telling Kenny, but also ruined what was potentially my engagement uh, moment. So, um, yeah. And then the next day we flew back at seven in the morning. And, um, and he's he, he kind of like one of those where you go, I don't think I was needed, actually. Do you know, Justin? I don't think I was needed that night. I think he'd have been absolutely fine without me. I'm wondering as well if that Bay City roller lookalike would have remembered the following day had that happened. Or- whether or not he just dreamt it <laughs> yeah you see i can imagine a, a, a day out with you guys or a, an evening out and it, it sounds or it would look like some high profile bbc meeting rather than a, a family get together with you yourself and terry and uh, and kenny um who, who gets asked for first autograph more often than not oh my dad always jokes because he before lockdown would spend a lot of time at ellen road on uh, the weekends you know he'd go and do like all the hospitality and stuff around the boxes and and he apparently introduced himself as uh, Gabby Logan's dad, um, he tells me. <laughs> um, but when I always say to Kenny, when we're in Scotland, he's really famous in Scotland. It's really funny. Like you kind of, you know, you don't know. I don't notice him in England. And then we go to Scotland and suddenly everybody comes up and chats to him. And, you know, he, especially when he was playing and the kids, it's funny for the kids because the kids don't, they see him as a businessman. They don't see him as a rugby player because he, when he was born, when they were born, he'd just retired. And when we go to Scotland, they kind of go like, why, why are all these people coming up to you? <laughs> um, it's quite nice for them in a way because they didn't see him play and they don't remember his career. So, um, and as Kenny always says, the only clips of him on YouTube, he's dancing on Strictly. So, <laughs> so the kids think that, you know, he's made up this international rugby career. That he... <laughs> so you played for Scotland 70 times, did you, Dad? I can't find any clips. <laughs> They're all on VHS somewhere yeah. in, the, in the loft. In his mum's house. <laughs> 
Um, with with your kids, are they sporty like you? We'll, we'll come on to your career in gymnastics, but you mentioned your, your kids already uh, not being able to do their thing. Um, do they get yeah. pulled in the in the football, stroke rugby? Is well, there a little my, bit of a tug of war going is, on? Um, he's a he reckons he's you know this this last term they played uh, football instead of rugby because um, because they weren't going to play any matches, and he uh, got himself like straight into the first team and told me that he could have been a footballer if he, you know, if he put more effort into it. And um, I was laughing at him because he's a defender. He's six foot five. I said, nobody will go anywhere near you. That's why. <laughs> so you think, don't think you're that good. Um, but, he, you know, he's a rugby player. He plays a centre. He's at the Wasps Academy and he's, you know, he's, he's a talented boy. But, you know, he's 15 and it's that period of your life where, you, you know, you've got to kind of really commit and you've got to do it yourself. You can't, nothing that we can do. It's, it's up to you, you know. He's, he's got... Um, ability certainly and it's and he's passionate about it but um but so are lots of other boys and and girls but you know with him obviously he's playing with lads and Lois um for she's absolutely she's brilliant because what she's done is she's chosen a sport that I know nothing about she's very clever hang on hang on there is a sport you know nothing about she's a show jumper so basically (laughs) what she's done is I always joke with Claire Balding that I've had her child um because she's obsessed (laughs) with horses and she's so hardworking and she's got like so much commitment and um, and dedication and trains really hard and she absolutely loves it and I thought she'd grow out of it by now you know she's been obsessed since she was about four I was like here's a tennis racket here's a golf club here's a netball you know and, we kind of, and she played a lot of school team sports and she did gymnastics and she was really good at gymnastics um, but she just this is her thing you know and so um, so I, you have to kind of go with their passions don't you and I, I all I ever wanted for my kids was to have a passion whether it was music the arts sport you know just to be just to be involved in something that you commit to and you give to and you, you know, you understand that the hard work you, you put into it, but the enjoyment as well, you know, sports so enjoyable. And so I'm glad that they've both found something that they love like that, because it is, you know, for me, it's the thing that can take you through the, the tricky times of adolescence a little bit easier, I think. Where did your love of gymnastics start? What ignited that? Um, I wanted to be a tennis player and we'd always done gymnastics, my sister and I. We'd always kind of dipped our toe in it and we'd been involved in gym clubs since we were about four or five. I think like most parents, my mum was like, okay, they just hang up and down, upside down all day long. They're always like doing cartwheels. I'll take them to a gym club. And and then we moved to Canada and I really got into my tennis. I was about eight or nine and I loved it. And it was easy to play in Canada. In Vancouver, you could, you know, it was a dollar for a, a court for an hour and stuff. It wasn't like England at that time or even England, many places in England and Scotland now. Um, and so I, I, I was, that was it. I was going to be a tennis player. Came back to, in fact, I, before we moved back from Vancouver, I tried to persuade my parents to leave me in Florida at the Nick Boltieri Academy. I said, leave me there. And I said, within four years, you'll have your money back. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and they were like, all right, Gabby, let's go. And um, so we got back to England and we lived in Coventry very, for a short period of time. And they had a good indoor racket center there. And so I could carry on. Then we moved to Leeds. And at the time, Leeds had one indoor court and it was a private members club which my parents were not going to join and so I had to stop it was the October there was just no tennis and I was gutted because I you know was loving it and my sister had carried on with the gym so I followed her to the gym club I was like 10 and um, she started doing rhythmic gymnastics and I just really loved it I loved the club I loved the whole you know the girls from other places around Leeds and the coaches and we were very lucky because the national coach was the Leeds coach so we had a high level of training and and I just got kind of sucked into it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't my um, first kind of thought of what I thought I you know wanted to do in sport. But um, I loved it, and it gave me so much in my life. It gave me you know such an amazing amount of kind of um, understanding of hard work and dedication and what you you know 
what you can achieve if you put your you know your mind to something and also travel I went around the world and I, I saw places I wouldn't have been to I went to New Zealand at 16 and you know so um and I got to wear my my country's colors you know so I was um I was very very proud of you know of, of what I did it wasn't it's not a professional sport you know it wasn't going to leave me anywhere like um like a tennis player would but it for me it was invaluable You've made it sound so easy and a, and a really simple journey, but I think you, you mentioned a couple of words in there, the hard work and the dedication that comes along with getting to that level is huge. Yeah, and you've got to want it for yourself. You know, I would get up before school and I'd either train at home and do my conditioning at home before school or I'd get on the bus and go to the gym and train before school. I'd get a janitor to open the gym up. This is when I was training for things like the Commonwealth Games because I was also quite studious and I didn't want to drop on, off my studies. And then at weekends, it would be national squad training. So you'd be getting in a car at five in the morning and driving down to Bedford or Northampton from Leeds or getting on a train and, you know, changing in Sheffield and then going down to London or wherever it was. And um, and that was holidays and weekends. And I had a really good group of girlfriends who were very understanding of my passion and my kind of desire to keep doing well. They didn't kind of, you know, if I could make a social event, great. But if I didn't make 10 out of 12, fine. You know, that way they were... Uh, really lovely about you know when I look back now I was very lucky with that in that respect because it was it would have been I think quite easy for them to go oh, you know just forget don't invite her out anymore you know don't let you know so I didn't have a very um, kind of sociable <laughs> uh, teenage years but my social life was different I guess because I was with these great girls who were in national squad and places that I and two of them are still two of my best friends now I'm godparents to their kids and we met when I was 12 so um, so I forged great friendships and that's what sports should do you know it's that camaraderie that you have and being, um, you know, being able to motivate yourself to do those things, I think, helps you in other areas of your life as well. It's not just about doing the splits, you know. <laughs> it's, it's you can about... still do the splits, apparently. <laughs> yeah, just just hanging on to them. I'm, I'm determined <laughs> to get to my... Uh, I've decided 60 is a good age to kind oh, of like wow. game for. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I, and just to get it straight, th- these weren't pushy parents, Gabby, were they? This, this no, was you no. driving yourself. You had the motivation to do that yeah. five o'clock start and everything that, that went along with it. My mum was um, my mum was so funny because she had four of us, and my little brother Jordan was only he was born when I was thirteen. So she had a baby, and then she had thirteen, twelve, and eleven, the older three. So we were all doing sport in different places. My brother Daniel was an amazing footballer, and so he was always every day training somewhere. And so she was like a you know you know mum's cabs service and dropping everybody off and so for her if one of us had decided we didn't want to do it anymore she'd have probably said hurrah you know she she was just like <laughs> she, she she obviously had to pay the subs and she bought the leotards and she you know made sure that um if, if I needed to be somewhere I was there because I'd tell her where I needed to be um but it was very much driven by us in that respect and you know she'd, she'd say if I had an early pickup at say five in the morning she'd say if you bring me a cup of tea at four thirty, I'll 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 take you. You know, so oh, I'd, wow. I'd be the one taking the tea upstairs, going, "Come on, let's go, let's go." <laughs> um, so my kids, when I tell them things like that, they kind of go. I mean, they're you know they're very good at getting on with what they need to, but I think that has you know hit home to them that they they are lucky because you do need parental support. You know, you need your parents. You know, it's important that that kids have that support because they need to know it's it's okay and you're validating it, aren't you? But at the same time, you also get to an age where the kids need to be wanting it for themselves. And, you you know, you don't see anybody at the top level of sport. Well, very rarely do you see anybody at the top level of sport who doesn't love it for themselves. You know, Andre Agassi's biography, Open, is probably one of the most distressing because he clearly, in the end, hated his father and hated the sport because he felt he was driven and pushed too hard. Right. Which is a shame, you know, because he achieved so much. But it's usually there comes a tipping point, doesn't there, where you are the driver. It's a careful balance as a parent, isn't mm. it? Just knowing, 
just to push them just hard enough to make them want it for themselves, but without being that ogre who suddenly on a Sunday morning turns into sideshow yeah. dad on the sidelines yeah. barking <laughs> at your kid because you're living your life through them. One of my, uh, Ruben, when he was at his uh, younger school, like, you know, not his high school, he was about uh, nine and he'd scored a try. And he said, Mummy, I looked over and you were the only parent not clapping for me when I when I scored. Because I was almost like too mindful thinking I don't want to look too like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I when the other mums are going for it, I get I join in. You know what I mean? I kind of like I, I really and dads, obviously, I enjoy it. But Kenny's very different. He wants to, he takes himself off and watches it completely separately nowadays when it's a bit more serious. You know, he, do, he likes to watch it all on his own and kind of so he can have a proper kind of critique if Ruben wants it. You know, I said, what's what's different now is Ruben says what do you think rather than kenny bombarding him yeah, with you yeah. know, messages and saying you know this 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 and this um and actually the clubs are re- it's really interesting the academies are really i'm sure it's the same in football as well they they have special kind of sessions for the parents because when you get to that level of elite sport it's like this is what you should this is the conversation you should be having or this is what you shouldn't be saying this is you know when your kid gets in the car after a match you should not be saying, right, let's go through it. You know, yeah, you wait yeah. for them to speak to you because that otherwise the enjoyment goes. Because let's not beat about the bush. In these academies, football and rugby and, and any other sport at that level, 5% of them are going to make it, you know? if if So so the 95% that don't make it at the very top have got to still have a passion and a love for the game, haven't they, that they're playing. You don't want them to go away feeling bitter about it and that they're disappointed or that they were let down sure. by it. They've got to take their life skills forwards. So when Wasps Academy have that session with the parents um, and Kenny walks in, what do they say? Just You're all right, just go sit over there for a minute and we'll, we'll get through it with these guys. <laughs> well, it's funny because some of the parents come into it, like there's one dad, his son's very talented and he's just not a rugby person. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't come from a rugby background, doesn't yeah. understand rugby, but his son's found this game. And so he had no idea that Kenny had played for Wasps even. So he was chatting to Kenny one day as if Kenny was just kind of the same as him, didn't really know. And then later on, he came up to me and went, I'm so sorry. He said, I just, he said, my son said to me, dad, he's on the dressing room wall. And, you know, but Kenny doesn't, you know, go around kind of assuming that, you know, kind of that would be the case. I think he, he does find it funny when a parent tells Kenny how the teams, you know, he'll go like, you know, what they need to do is, oh, it's brilliant when you get kids back for dinner and stuff like, you know, in the old days. And, yeah. um, and, and they'll start having a conversation with Kenny and these 15-year-olds about rugby and stuff. And they're really opinionated. Oh, it's quite great, you know, that they have these uh, real strong sense of kind of their own identity and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, Ruben concedes now at 15 that it's very handy having Kenny's knowledge. When he was about 13, of course, Kenny didn't know anything because it's not like in your day, Dad. It's not like in your day. <laughs> um, I suppose it's no surprise you made a career within sport and, and then within broad, broadcasting. Uh, you, you started out your career kind of in the northeast, wasn't it, in, in radio? In Is that where your yeah. love of it all began? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, wanted to, I knew I wanted to get work in broadcasting in some way or journalism in some way when I was on Blue Peter. I was 15. I was doing gymnastics on Blue Peter to advertise a big international that I was in. And I loved it. I loved it. I was at TBC, the studios at Shepherd's Bush, and I just thought it was magical. And but how do I do this? I've got, you know, nobody obviously in the family works in broadcasting. I've got no journalists in the family. Nobody in the family had been to university. I didn't know kind of how I was going to get there. And I wrote to the editor and he said to me, go to university and come and see me afterwards, you know. So I went to Durham and did law. And before I had a gap year, and before I went up to Durham, I was trying to get experience on national newspapers. I had a week on a paper called the Today newspaper, and I got a day in a newsroom on a radio station. And anyway, I met the then boss of Metro through another friend. And 
he said, well, when you come to Newcastle, um, when you come to Durham, come over to Newcastle for the afternoon and I'll have a chat with you, you know. And he was really great. He gave me, to start off with, unpaid work experience. I was in the newsroom learning about how you compile the bulletins. And by the Christmas of my first term, I was reading news bulletins. And that was my first year job, basically. I'd have these shifts in the afternoons or at the weekends where I'd, I'd do all the news on the hour and the half hour and learn to be a newsreader, basically. And so that was a great year. And then he put me into kind of positions where I'd be doing the shifts when the, the jocks, the, the disc jockeys were off, you know, the presenters were off and doing late night shows and things. So by the time I graduated, I, I was asked to do the breakfast show. So um, it was a brilliant apprenticeship, you know, because I was doing all that while I was doing my degree. I had this little se- separate life that I was sneaking off to Newcastle <laughs> in my Fiat Panda. And um, and it was it was amazing. And I absolutely loved my, my four years in the Northeast, you know, in, in Newcastle and Durham and, and had such a huge learning ground. And radio is such a brilliant place to learn your craft, really. I think it really does give you that hunger, doesn't it? Straight away, as you know, as soon as you walk in, that this this is where I want to want to be. This is my career, and obviously, through then, it's just been a a, a a fantastic career to follow, I suppose, if if you like. And all of a sudden, you are where where you are. Um, I always I always wonder because I get too wrapped up in sport, um, and and it, it's 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 really difficult when. How do you watch something like Mo Farrow in gold and then uh, ev- the excitement's just huge and then suddenly turn to camera and make it look so... Well, welcome back. It wasn't that exciting. <laughs> do you know what happens? You, you're watching something like, especially with Mo, where you're, you know, the last lap or so, because it's such a long race, obviously your, yeah. your heart's in your mouth and you're, you're kind of like, because the narrative of what you're going to say changes, you know. So, so like any sport, it can just all change very quickly. And suddenly you can go from having what you think is going to be a joyful conversation about where it went right to suddenly, you know, this is where it went wrong. Not, not with Mo, obviously. It's very rarely gone wrong with Mo, but <laughs> uh, with, with certain other sports and people and things. So, so you're got, you've got one eye on the, the event as a, as a kind of sportsman, and then the other eye obviously is thinking, okay, how are we constructing the chat? What clips are we going to use? And so I think having an editor in my ear the whole time talking, you know, they, they, don't, they don't get screamy, do you know what I mean, in the gallery. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. very much kind of like looking at this from a, a storytelling uh, process. So, so it, is, um, it is really a privilege to be at some of these amazing events, whether it is the, the Rugby World Cup final when England won and you're on the pitch, you know, and, and you're, you're, you know, you're literally kind of a metre away from these guys. Uh, or Olympic Games when, you know, you've got Jessica Ennis Hill and Mo Farah and the likes, you know, doing what they do. And, 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 you know, in the Football World Cups where you're, you know, England in 2018 it was surpassing kind of expectations and just give, bringing so much joy and you really felt that out there. Those those moments where the, the nation, like the kids were ringing me up in Russia going, people are going mad, mum. Like, you know, <laughs> and Ruben was singing three lines. You know what I mean? Like, my, my Kenny, even Kenny was going, all right, I'll sing. You know? <laughs> uh, so so it, 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 those things are, you know, just really a huge privilege to be part of and but at the same time you've got a job to do you know so you can't just go that was great <laughs> that'd you've be me to, see yeah, that's why got... you do what you do and i do what i do <laughs> you've got to that... work out why it was great <laughs> has there been one moment one sporting moment one one minute where you've you'll look back and you'll always remember that one particular moment something that gives you goose pimples and his spine tingling and you think wow yeah I'm, I'm so glad I was there at that time um oh gosh there's, there's so there many so many yeah yeah there's so many things popping into my mind that you you know you you feel a, a privileged 
kind of you know more than just you know privileged spectator you're you're kind of like that ticket where you're that golden ticket if you like where you're you're stood in a stadium and and witnessing something or an arena or a sporting sporting occasion I guess um from a uh I keep this keeps flashing in my mind which is funny because it's not a big I wasn't even working at it but I woke up one morning uh when I moved to London and worked for Sky and decided I wanted to go up and watch Newcastle play Man United and I did and they won 5-0 it's 5-0 or 5-1 5-0 um the uh, Albert chip yeah yeah yes and, um, and one of those days where you just go I'm so glad I just woke up and decided to fly up and <laughs> you know and watch something as a you know because I don't get to see much as a pure spectator do you know what I mean the, the sport I tend to watch as pure spectator is my kids sport I tend yeah. to be working otherwise so that was that that popped into my mind for some reason but I think things like that I mentioned the rugby world cup a lot of those players for England were Kenny's teammates from wasps mm. these were guys that I'd go out with after a match and things and knew their wives and families and and now they were immortal like you know nobody's done it since then you know so and so when you and they beat Australia in their own backyard and that kind of you know those moments are are really really priceless but I think overall if there's one thing that and it's not one moment but more like a series of moments was the Olympics in 2012 to be um I'm an Olympic fan you know always have been yeah love, absolutely love the games and and I knew in 2008 when I worked on them for the first time for the BBC that I would be working in 2012, but I really didn't expect it to be the resounding success that it was as a Games and to feel that national coming together and the beauty of Olympic sport where heroes are made kind of that we didn't know about. You know, people people start talking about sports that they don't really know about. I love that whole kind of, you know, you go into like the dry cleaners and the woman in front's got an opinion about the handball. You know what I mean? It's that kind of, uh, and um, and that the way the Olympics can do that, you know, it can just kind of, turn everyone into you know oh, I've always loved rowing hockey me hockey. <laughs> um, so I'm yeah I, I don't think I'll find it hard for anything to really surpass those few weeks are you nervous about Tokyo 2021 yes, and, and what, what, what will happen yeah. I think I'm, I think it's looking increasingly likely that it won't happen it feels like you know that's what the, the mood feels like um, come the noises I know Seb Code came out and said you know it's going ahead but I, there are so many different imponderables and problems and movable parts to this. You know, yeah. if they insist on everybody being vaccinated, for example, how can you, you know, there are 200 countries that take part in Olympic Games. You know, there are teams coming from areas in Africa who won't have a vaccine program mm. up and running at that point. So how can just a group of athletes be vaccinated? That's an, a country's policy, obviously. So it's very, um, I mean, it, w- it would be an unbelievable boost to the globe, wouldn't it, to the planet to have an Olympic Absolutely. Games and for people to be able to enjoy that. But I read a piece yesterday, I think it was, and something I'd not even really thought about. And I don't know if this would happen, but you can't have an Olympics without a crowd. <laughs> it, just, it just wouldn't, you know, it just... So you'd, obviously Japan would have to be secure that everybody there was able to go. You know, even sure. if the only, it was only home fans, I'd rather that than the idea of, uh, you know, a sporting event like the Olympics not having a crowd. It's, that's what it's about. It's that national fervour. I mean, the Six Nations is coming up. I'm doing that soon. And that's going to be strange without mm. all of that you know, England-Wales rivalry or the, you know, the, the Ireland-Scotland rivalry, whatever it is. So the, the Olympics, I think it's just devastating to think about all those athletes and sports people who every four years get their moment where their funding is reliant on their success and, you know, to keep going or whether it is their last year in their cycle to, to imagine their anxiousness and their, you know, heartbreak if it doesn't happen because then the talk is, well, if it doesn't happen, it should just be wiped from the calendar and then we move on to Paris, you know, so just goes you know i guess a lot of that depends on things like insurance you know the insurance mm. you know that the games is insured and all those things that we can't really possibly know the detail of so um yeah i'm really nervous about it i wasn't you know back in october or november of last year i thought 
that's that's going to be great. Be okay. Now we're in a situation, aren't we, where there are obviously new variants and everybody's kind of not sure if they're all going to work with the vaccines. And I, I you know, I I'm still a little bit hopeful, but I'm starting to try and resign myself to kind of the disappointment. I think a lot to unravel. I think isn't there before mm-hmm. we before we get there? Is there anything in TV you haven't done that you'd quite like to give a a go? And it could be anything. Question time. Wipe out. Um, there's loads of stuff. Wipe out. There's loads of stuff. I, I've got a kind of itchiness at the moment to do something almost daily, whether that's radio right. or telly. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I want to. I've always avoided those things, bizarrely, because I felt as a mother, doing what I do, even though I go away for periods of time, I'm able to be around quite a lot. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was able to juggle kids and, um, and my career and I didn't want to do something that was so structured. Do you know what I mean? Like a, yeah, like a regular, yeah. almost like a regular um, job that had regular hours because it felt like I was going to be less flexible. Um, so I kind of feel like my kids are getting older now and they're going to be doing A-levels that I'm more likely to be able to do something like that. So, yeah, I'd like, I quite like that. I, I'm, sports, you know, still a massive passion for and I love it. I have done loads of the things that I've done. I've done more than once. And, you know, at some point it feels like you should hand the baton over and people get you know um the, the players are getting younger justin <laughs> you know i go hang on you're not they're getting to the point now where not only could they be my sons they could be my you know grandson no, not but quite, do you not but... think that that's just a number though because i look at players yeah. and think i i still look as young as he does and i know i'm miles <laughs> off and I, I know it doesn't look like that in a million years but in here and yeah, in here it does. <laughs> oh yeah i mean i've just started a I had my second series of midpoint a podcast which is based pretty much all about that that you know i feel i'm as youthful as I was at 28, you know, and uh, and I chat to these players. But then you realise, you know, because having teenagers, music, cultural touch points, all those things are different, aren't they? You know, I mean, I, my kids keep me a little bit up to speed with things, although they do a lot of eye rolling. Um, and, you know, I can't believe, mum, it's, it's TikTok's not dangerous, you know? So I kind of like, you go, well, should you be doing this? And, you know, um, but how they communicate, you know, um, you know, you see kids doing this when they walk down the street and they just kind of hold their phones like this, yeah. you know, and they're sending voice memos all the time to each other. And that bit, I'll hear my son having a conversation with his mate. I go, why don't you just call him? Like, they're literally replying to each other. And we can't, you know, if we just, we just sound like old fuddy-duddies, don't we, when we say that? You know, it's kind of like, just just call them up. <laughs> it's doing? all Snapchat. So I, have you texted yeah. him? No, I snap, snapped him. I snapped him. Oh, snapped right, him. okay. Yeah, yeah, that'll work oh, then. Even, even WhatsApp, my son's like, you know, because I say, you never reply in the family WhatsApp. He goes, I never have WhatsApp up. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, God, yeah, so all those... Old. All those things are quite um, uh, sobering, you know, when you kind of, and then you think these young players, you know, whether it's rugby, football or the athletes um, that, I, you know, I work with, they, they have different social kind of experiences, don't they, to us and different, you know, different, completely different upbringing in terms of the way social media and the way that the Internet has impacted their lives. Some, some of it very positive. Um, but no, I still feel like I, you know, if I ever suggest that I might do less sport, it's funny, the kids both go, no, you've got to keep doing sport. So I go, okay, all right. <laughs> I love um, it how they, they drive it. No, 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 sorry, we can't be making that career no, choice. No, I know. No, you're, no, what are you talking about? You need to do that. That's good. Um, which which I, I slightly kind of, it's a backhanded compliment because I think if they were embarrassed by me, they'd say, stop it now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they're, they're quite um, silently, I think they quite like what I do. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you're super busy, so just to spare us the the half no, an hour, Ollie. It's, it's probably been longer than that. Sorry. Well, I've missed I've missed obviously uh, seeing you at the uh, Newcastle Foundation dinner last year. It didn't happen. Hopefully How did you we'll... cope? 
<laughs> well, I had a, you know, I, I did an auction in my kitchen. Um, <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, thank you so much, Justin. Lovely to see you. And to you as well. And uh, good luck for the rest. Fingers crossed for the Olympics because it would be great to see yeah, that happen in some guys. But uh, so thanks again joy, for coming yeah. on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Take Gabby. Care. Thank you very much. Bye. So that's Gabby. Uh, absolutely fantastic to have her on our latest Give to Local podcast. Uh, fascinating insight into being involved in elite sport literally her entire life. Could have gone on for ages. Sadly, time was against us. Uh, we've got some congratulations to do as well. Neil Emerson, Gateshead Storm. Congratulations to you, sir. £250 to spend at kitlocker.com. You got involved in our last podcast and the question... And you managed to get it right. So congratulations. And don't forget, there's another £250 up for grabs right now. All you need to do, listen to the podcast. And there's a question on the way about something that you'll have heard in that podcast. Fingers crossed. Follow the instructions and good luck.